Welcome to the renowned comedy store on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Many of America's most famous comedians got their start at this popular club. But some people say that on certain nights, you're likely to catch a very different kind of show. One guaranteed to create a lot more chills than chuckles. Is a comedy store truly haunted from the basement to the rafters? Tonight, we've come to the legendary night spot to see for ourselves. Join me in this ghostly profile, as well as these intriguing mysteries. everybody welcome to episode 181 of the art and jacob do america podcast i am your host today in the place to be mr jacob p and sitting right across from me is the brown recluse mr art trail <laughs> art say hello to the millions and millions what's up everybody uh i keep getting text messages from my family for some reason guys you know what keeps family away <laughs> it's coffee guys go to cavemancoffee.com Check out their entire inventory of coffee beans. They got the hibiscus tea. They got the pumpkin spice latte tea, if you're into that kind of stuff. They got hoodies. They got hats. They got everything you would ever need at cavemancoffee.com. Check it all out. When you type in America at checkout, you're going to receive 15% off. That 15% off goes to helping us. It shows that you care. It shows that you listen to the podcast. Um, Also, whenever you receive that merchandise, let's say you buy a hat and a hibiscus tea, Take a picture of yourself drinking that hibiscus tea and looking fly as fuck. Um, and we appreciate that. Tag them. Tag us. It shows that you are listening and that you care. Yes. So with that said, make sure you check out our other sponsor, the great and powerful El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Guys, the kings of flavor since 1968. That's 50 years of Flavortown, baby. That's like literally like when Mustang, they started making like those fastbacks and shit, those beautiful ass cars that I may or may not have in the driveway right now. I'm not going to put on my business out there, but it was, it's, that's 50 years of like Flavortown. So usually this part of the podcast, I usually tell you like, oh, this week I put El Yucateco on my breakfast burrito or I put that in my tuna fish. But guys, this whole month or this whole coming month, I want you guys to just send me your recipes, what you've been putting El Yucateco on. And I'm so confident that you will love El Yucateco that I believe you can put this sauce on anything. And when I mean anything, I had somebody send me a picture 
of them putting that shit on caramel or not caramel corn, but uh, candy corn. That like literally the worst Halloween. That candy sounds you can, gross. Yeah, the worst Halloween candy you can have. But they were dipping that shit like it was ranch dressing from Wingstop. It's got to be good recipes, man. Don't give me some bullshit ass like I'll put it on a hot dog and that's my recipe. <laughs> like that's a bullshit recipe. Yeah, because we have a whole recipe book that I'm going to be sending out because El Yucateco sent me some more swag in the mail. Oh, that's what's up. So we got koozies. We got El Yucateco Lokes. We got stickers. We got to do El Yucateco condoms that burn when you put them on. T-shirts, all right. So, if you send me some something, some delicious ass recipe or whatever, I will personally send this out to your house in my fastback 1968. That's what's up. All right. So, I digress from that. So, this week we have a very special episode. Um, of course, we're going to be talking about the comedy store and how it's haunted and shit. And this is going to be our final installment for our spooky October episodes that we've been doing. So, uh, but we have a special guest. So, Art, do you want to go ahead and introduce our special guest? Yeah, guys, uh, you might know him from Thug Notes, which is hilarious. Uh, you might know him from television. If you have eyes, perhaps you have seen him on Comedy Central. Uh, guys, Mr. Greg Edwards, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, hey, no, you guys already did it, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I'm um, I'm stoked about this hot sauce. I got to try some of this, man. Hell yeah, man. Hot sauce uh, connoisseur. And let me know what flavors you like after we get done recording this or whatever. I'll let I'll send you out some. All right, how about that? Hell yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I, I think a good hot sauce condom. Who's doing that? I think that'll be dope. <laughs> Dude, that's... You got some there, Art? I think you got some. I there. I think it's a good idea. I think hot sauce condoms are. Uh... Hey, I guarantee you, if Magic Johnson would have had a hot sauce condom, he would not have uh, HIV. It would cure all diseases or whatever. <laughs> Just burn the corona, burn the HIV, oh, yeah. burn the clap away. Yo, no craps so, for sure. A red condom, you put it on, it's red on your dick, it'd just be, it'd just be great. <laughs> oh my God, that, it burns just thinking about it. I had a bad experience once. <laughs> no, have you, you know what really burns? Fuck, we're getting like a hot sauce or whatever. Have you ever brushed your teeth in the shower and then fucking got toothpaste on your dick? No. Ooh, that that shit. sounds awful. Yeah, that is the most awful thing. Because then it just stays with you for a while because it's got like that minty freshness to it. So it just makes your mm-hmm. penis all fucking minty fresh and shit. And it just tingles. Oh, I can see how. You know when they used I don't know if they still make them, um, but they used to have like fire and ice condoms. Do you remember that? No? No. Okay. Well, they used to make fire and ice condoms for some reason. It was basically like icy hot in a condom. I don't know why they made them. But during wintertime, one time I had sexual intercourse <laughs> and I decided to take off the condom and it was like fucking 40 degrees outside it was and like my dick was cold so you had a push pop in your pants or what it was well once i took off the condom but it, it felt weird it's kind of a weird i'm sure they still make them but uh i don't recommend them i don't know what's up with that oh hell no that was like the worst idea i've ever and we'll gotta google them we'll put them on the facebook live thing or whatever but <laughs> okay is anyone if any, anyone out there fellas you with me <laughs> Just like, go to tpublic.com and you can pick yourself up a hot sauce condom or a fire and ice condom. Yeah, worst <laughs> idea ever, dude. Hell no. But anyways, guys, uh, you want to go ahead and jump into the topic? About- jump into <laughs> Fuck, I can't even talk, brother. It's been a long week. You want to jump into the topic, brother? Yeah, sure. So this week's topic is the comedy store. I feel like this one's been a long time coming just because we're both fans of the comedy store. We've been there. We've we've seen shows there before, uh, but we've never performed there. We never, we're not. We're not a comedian. So we decided to get a comedian on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, we can just, I mean, I can jump into it. Um, I moved to L.A. in 2010. Uh, I was a San Francisco comic before then. 
and I've only heard stories about the comedy store. So I, I moved uh, to LA and um, I'm, you know, just going around at all the places, all the, uh, all the clubs and all the independent shows. And I go to the store and, um, you know, when you go to the store and you're a new comic, you just say, hey, I'm a, I'm a new comic. Where are you from? I'm, you know, I'm from San Francisco and uh, they let you in. Um, but sometimes they'll, they'll even give you a tour. So they gave me a tour of the, of the store and I had already knew some guys uh, from SF that were already down there. And, um, and they, they gave me a tour of the whole the place. And um, if you've never been to the comedy store, there's a vibe at the store. There's an energy at the store. And like, if you're, if you're just like a person that likes comedy, you just think it's like old comedians and just the energy of just the history of comedy there. But it's like a, it's a high energy and it's a very sad energy, a deep, like, uh, thirsty energy. And that's, that's from the comedians for sure. But there's also like an energy of like, I don't know, it just, it just rubs you like a, a weird way. Mm-hmm. I could never get used to the store. Um, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not at the store a lot at all. Like I go to the store every once in a while, I do my sets and get the fuck out of there. Uh, <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I mean, I like. Don't get me wrong. I like getting up at the store, but there, it's just an energy, man. And um, I remember the first tour. Uh, somebody was explaining to me that you know the the, the comedy store used to be an old mobster mm-hmm. hangout, and if you go into the green room of the belly room, it used to be like a, all green, and uh, they used to have this flowery uh, wallpaper. But they'll show you like a slide. They have like a sliding little uh, door that you can see into the main room from that from the green room. And you know the dude was telling me that they used to murder people from up there. They used to like you know just shoot people in the head mm-hmm. uh, from up at that spot. And then they you know the history of it. I don't know if you wanted to get into the history of it, Jacob. Oh yeah, so, sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like that's what I wanted to touch on with you. Like, what is your experiences there? Like you mentioned, like I like for this whole week I was doing research, like almost every single comedian who has either been, you know, uh, you know, a paid regular there or just, you know, you know, jumped in and out of there said almost the exact same thing as you when they talked about like that energy. Cause I've been to the laugh factory, you know, both in LA and I believe there's a laugh factory in long beach. Um, there's one in Las Vegas I've been to, like, I've, I've been to all the major comedy clubs and it just seems like, like they're like regular buildings, you know? And, you know, there's wherever you go, there's always going to be energy, like in comedy clubs, especially it's like always going to be a joyous energy, but you hit the nail on the head. Like there's always something about the store where you're, you're excited to be there because it's just, there's lore galore about this place. It's like considered the Mecca of all comedy, but at the same time, like you just have like this guttural, like instinct. Like where you're just always on a swivel, like you don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew I up think on it's the a east parking side. lot, dude. Well, yeah, it's well, hard to find parking there. That's true. It's definitely hard to find parking. But, but like, it feels like an Indian burial ground. You it know? does exactly. You feel like at first you're like, what the fuck? I remember the first time I come there because like I, I grew up in a very religious household. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I grew up kind of being aware of energies. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. and trusting. I got a, I got a grandma that just passed away a couple years ago, but she always told me to trust instincts, trust your energies. Uh, you know, when, when, when you feel a vibe, it's your body and your energies telling you something about somebody or what's going on and trust that shit. It's that- so when you first walk through those doors of the comedy store, your fucking spidey sense is going crazy, dog. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's going off. 
And for those of you who have not been there, there's three separate rooms. So there's the main room where you get like all the big names like, you know, Rogan or, you know, Bill Burr. Um, that's who plays like the main stage. And you got the OR, which I think is like the original room, which okay. is like where the original actual room was um, that Mitzi Shore and her husband bought. Um, that's my favorite because every 15 minutes you get another comedian coming out there. And then there's the belly room, which, you know, it's kind of like the, that's the, honestly. So when I was doing all this research, the belly room was the one that kept coming up over and over and over. I was like being like the bad vibes room or whatever. Like you yeah. just walk in, you just feel like yeah. there's a fucking demon in here. And like, that's where it intensifies. Cause I've been in all three, the main room, it, it's just got like that old sad energy that you were talking about. The OR kind of feels like that's where you start to get the spidey senses, but it's not until you walk up those stairs <laughs> into the belly room where you're just like, like, is this going to be like, like, cause I grew up in the very hood part of town, like where we still live at, like where it's just like, it's like gang infested territory where it's just like, okay, am I wearing the right colors? Like, you like, watch what I say, like watch who I look yeah. in the eye and stuff. It's always like there. And we went there for like a comedy show you know, with all of our favorite comedians and whatnot. And I was just like, holy shit. And I'd actually seen Dave Chappelle there too. And it's just like, I know I'm looking at Dave Chappelle, one of my favorite comedians of all time. But right now I feel like Satan is just right there behind him right now. It's it's really weird. One of the things, and this is just going to, this is a personal thing, but is it the main room where we saw Kill Tony? Uh, no, the belly room. That was the belly. Oh, that was the belly room. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely the creepiest one in there. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's a bunch of mirrors on like one side of the wall. Right. Yeah. And it just adds this like weird effect to it that it's very seventies. I'm sure that was a popular thing in the seventies to do just <laughs> to have a wall of mirrors. Uh -huh. But like, it just adds this, this like, kind of nauseous 70s vibe to it where it's like very the shining you like the movie the shining like yeah. it reminds me of that like they could film a shining style movie in here oh yeah because it's like kind of creepy like it just has that weird vibe that should be a horror movie like the, like a like a comedy store horror movie or something like that oh i'm sure it's possible dude yeah oh, man don't do that that should <laughs> just bring all the ghosts out man <laughs> ghosts in there that shit is creepy man um and it's not i mean it's that energy but it's also mixed with that with that comedy energy and now i'm not just talking about like the laughing comedy energy i'm talking about the sadness mm -hmm. the the people think comedians are great but there's a sadness with comics that like you're you're you've been a loser most of your life uh then you finally figured out how to make people laugh and you've gotten this this vibe going and this little bit of success and then you get hooked on drugs or alcohol and that shit just goes flaming down. Mm -hmm. And then you spend the rest of your life at this club that not really, they aren't really going to show you any love, you know what I mean? But you're just there. So it has, it has that thirsty energy of like somebody trying to get back to a place where they used to be at too. So yeah. it's, it's just filled with, uh, with energy and it's, it's there, it's locked. It's like it can't be vacuumed out. I don't know how many times have people tried to sage that place or Palo Santo that place, but it is <laughs> it is locked in there. Mm -hmm. and yeah, they have done that. And I'll get into that <laughs> in the it, episode for sure. It's kind of weird. You know, just seeing the building from outdoors, is it like completely painted black right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like it just adds like that weird vibe. Like, like that, the Hollywood, is it the Hollywood Strip? Uh, uh, sunset strip. Sunset strip. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. Sunset. Sunset just has like a weird vibe in itself. Like, uh, isn't like the Mormon temple like right down the street from it? Yeah. Like it just has like a very old school vibe. Like it's not just your regular like downtown like part of you know if you're in San Diego downtown you know like mm -hmm. what is it the lamp the lamp light district or gas whatever lamp. Gas, gas lamp. lamp. Yeah. It's not like that. Like that one just feels 
like I can get drunk here and like walk walk home tonight kind of vibe, you know? <laughs> get some like good ass tacos. Get my Uber, get some pizza, and I'm good. Like that doesn't feel like that there. Like it feels like there is. You're right. Like there is a sadness to it. Like maybe from all the bands that like played in all those venues. Like I think the Viper Room's right down the street. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah. Like all all the bands that didn't make it. Like you know, Joaquin Phoenix's brother. Like uh, River Phoenix. Yeah. River Phoenix. River Phoenix. Like all those things that just happened in that little area that are just like, you know. Broken dreams, like Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Boulevard of Broken. <laughs> I never put two Woo, and two together, that's but a book right there, Boulevard yeah, yeah. of Broken Dreams. There you it's go. It's true, and that vibe is there. Yeah, yeah. So, a quick history of Sunset Boulevard, and this is what I th- I spent like two days straight just going down this rabbit hole. But all this stuff didn't just happen with you know the comedy store being there. So. This actually was a popular like cattle route, like back like when California used to be Mexico. And what I kept reading still is, brother. Yeah. I mean No doubt. I'm never giving the motherland. No doubt. I'm never giving it back. (laughs) The border crossed me. Fuck Daniel Crockett. There you go. (laughs) And so also with that with being like a popular cattle route like it was like home to like a bunch of bandits and stuff and i kept seeing like things about like bandits who would like kill people and hide people within those hills that you know got they had to like uh bulldoze through to make you know most of like the sunset strip so it was just nothing but like hills like the whole hollywood hills that you see like they had to bulldoze those through but there was actual like bodies and skeletons found there actually on the sunset strip so like that leads to like some poltergeist shit right right there so it's just like you disturbed like an like you were saying earlier like an ancient burial ground so that was like in the late 1700s. Um, then, you know, just to fast forward this real quick, because I don't want to bore anybody with some history and shit. <laughs> um, in the 1920s, um, you know, they started to become more and more populated. And um, it wasn't really a part of L.A. at this time. It was just like a, like a township, like an unincorporated township. And it got so populated that the city of L.A. was like, all right, do you guys want to incorporate, you know, this city, which was like, called like Marshallville or something like that into LA. And they're like, hell no. Like we don't want anything to do like with, you know, this booming population, which gave um, rise to a lot of freedom since it was unincorporated. The LAPD couldn't, you know, come down on them. So this was in the 1920s during the roaring twenties during prohibition. So you had, this is where you start to see like all these clubs, you know, and they would sell like uh, alcohol in the back rooms. There was a bunch of speakeasies, a bunch of uh, casinos and burlesque rooms and, um, whorehouses basically uh, because it was out there in the country and shit so you had a lot of people that were like out in you know the the hollywood area because sunset basically runs from downtown la all the way out to the pacific ocean so it's this very long strip of street and it goes through all these districts so you would have people like in proper hollywood you know going all the way up into um, beverly hills which is where you know the comedy store is situated between you know beverly hills and hollywood proper so you'd have all these movie stars in the 20s and the 30s you know go and shoot films down in the studios in hollywood venture through the sunset strip to back to their home in beverly hills but would stop off like at a gambling spot stop off at a whorehouse or at this time you know being you know a gay person or you know a lesbian person at this time was very frowned upon but it was that in that area it was very like out and open like it was a welcome place because it was away from the oppression from the LAPD so it was a very open society that was generating a lot of buzz and a lot of income and with a lot of buzz and a lot of income you get the mob yeah definitely it's funny you say that so like 
that the the mob is there. Like there are mob ties to like the Mormon religion. Oh really? Kind of weird. Yeah, because a lot of what the Mormon religion gets its money from is like from like Vegas and like the mob that was there and like. It didn't. Hey, you don't get rich overnight just from like selling underwear in Utah. <laughs> BYU like, football. Yeah, like it's a big thing. Like I grew up in the Mormon religion, but like learning a lot from that. That's one of those things that like I started to be like, yo, you guys have some like strange and kind of shady backgrounds. Like that, I like pumped the brakes on and got out of there. But still, like you know, I could see how like that that thing, like that giant temple that they have up there, like that's not cheap property. No, to just have up there, like the biggest like landmark over there is a giant church. So it's like I could see the mob moving in there and then like having those ties to like getting this giant piece of land. Totally doable. Totally possible. Yeah. So one of the pieces of land that they actually get is the actual what we are going to call the comedy store, but it kind of goes. Um, it becomes different clubs. At first it was this club called Club Seville that lasted only for a year. Um, but basically it had like this glass floor where they had like fishes. Oh, dang, it, that's sick. Yeah, so it was this big fucking aquarium that, you know, people would like dance on and shit. Of course, they were selling, you know, liquor in the back room, you know, hidden from everything. And right next door to that, they had, uh, I guess you just call it a whorehouse. So when you go there right now, um, Google map it, or you can just personally go there to the comedy store. You got a hotel on one side, which will come up later. And you had this really elaborate, weird building. And I never knew exactly what it was. I think the last time I went to the store, it was like a sushi place or some some big old fancy ass um, sushi place. But it was it was originally built as a whorehouse for the mob. And what would happen is, is that, you know, within this club Seville, like, yeah, they had like, you know, the 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 fish tank floor or whatever. But what would become the belly room, they were actually doing illegal backstreet abortions in the belly room uh, from all. It. Yeah, from all the whores that were getting knocked up and pregnant. And the mob was like, nah, I need that pussy to work right now. So they <laughs> were doing all those abortions in the back. That's... And it's called the belly room? And it's called the belly room. Oh, my God. I never put two and two together. So I looked up the official reason why <laughs> they the comedy store calls it the belly room. And they said that, you know, eventually it becomes Club Zero or Zero's, uh, which yeah. is owned by um, uh, William Wilkerson, who was just basically a, a financer for Bugsy Siegel. Uh, but they say that it was just because, oh, no, the belly room was a VIP room, you know, and what they would do for the VIPs is they would do belly dances for them. Yeah, w going to the belly room, that was not anywhere. It doesn't look like a VIP room to me. Like, it's, <laughs> it's the least glamorous of all the other rooms. So, but no, that's why most historians nail it down to why they believe it's called the belly room is because of those illegal abortions that they did up there. Uh, well, I also know that the, the belly room... Uh, also started because Mitzi needed a place for like for women. It was mm -hmm. like a place for women comedians to like really work their stuff out. Um, yeah, and for minority comedians to work to work their stuff out, which is still going on to this day. We'll crack them up and a lot of uh, black shows being in the belly room. But um, I think I did know about the abortions being there, but I, I probably forgot about that. But it may I mean it just adds to that whole fucking weird ass vibe up there uh-huh and um most comedians and i looked up a couple of you know stories about this um blake clark one of the most famous he plays like the slinky dog in uh, toy story um he says <laughs> that you could hear like that room you were talking about that green room he goes every once in a while when i was a doorman there 
I would hear like, you know, after everything was closed at three o'clock, like I would hear like women, like they were like in the bathroom or whatever, that one tiny bathroom that's in the belly room. Like I would hear someone that was like, you know, like either they were standing on like a stall or something like screaming at the top of their lungs. And so I'd have to go up there and like see what was going on and tell them, hey, it's closed. I'd open up the bathroom and nobody would be there. Well, they say it's a they say it's a woman ghost there. I don't know her name. I think her name begins with a D. Okay. Uh, but they, you know, some people have taken pictures of her, but that's the word that there's a, a a woman there that's a ghost and she's dressed in these like old type clothing. Um, I don't know. Like, I can't, I, I don't know that like the decade that we're talking about with clothing, but they just saying like old type. Uh, yeah. Old type clothing. Before we continue, I just want to get a feel because me and Jacob, we you know we talk about ghosts a lot. But um, as far as like what your beliefs are of, of ghosts, what, what what are your beliefs on ghosts? Like, you think? Oh, it- oh, totally, man. I mean, I grew up in Virginia, man. So like, I mean, where I grew up was the first place that slaves got dropped off in this country. I grew up in a town called Hampton, Newport News, Virginia. Same place Allen Iverson and Michael Vick are from. Um, which it, there's like a vibe in our city. I mean, it's the landing spot where slaves really, you know, got dropped off from Africa when they come to the to the Americas, right? I mean, after, you know, some people got dropped off in the Caribbean and Jamaica and Brazil and shit like that. But for, for, for the U.S., it happened in Hampton, wow. my city, my city where I'm from. Um, so, I mean, growing up in that, and, you know, it's a lot of like the Native American vibe there. I mean, I grew up, my main street is called Kickatan, Powhatan Parkway. So, I mean, you got all these vibes there. And my parents are hella religious, right? So I'm seeing people shout at church and, you know, get the Holy Ghost. So, like, I'm growing up in that, I just believe there's always, like, some type of spiritual power, you know, mm-hmm. something going on. And, you know, I, I'd see shit growing up, man. Like, I, I, I never forget, I used to work at this uh, dinner theater up in Williamsburg, Virginia, kind of close to Jamestown. Y'all heard of Jamestown, Santa Maria, yeah, Penta, yeah, Christopher Columbus and shit. Um, And it's nothing but woods out there. Virginia is nothing but churches, uh, military bases, you know, and and black people and Southern white folks all mixed together. Uh, But anyway, I'm coming home. I'm I'm, I'm driving down these freeways and uh, uh, it's like maybe two in the morning. I'm coming from my, my job and I see these three people walking down a country road it's, it's pitch black it's no lights on the street it's just lights from your cars right and i see them and they don't you you know when it's two in the morning you would think see people see a, a a car uh headlights and they turn around right these people didn't move they didn't turn around at all they just continued to walk so i go back to work the next day and i'm telling everybody about it. i'm like man it was the creepiest thing happened i'm driving down this this road and i tell them the road and everybody's like uh-huh you know, like they're waiting for me to say it. And I'm like, and these three people, it was like a man, a woman, and like a, a small person, a kid or something. And I'm driving by, and then it was like, oh, that's the such and such family. It's a ghost. Oh, wow. These people got lost in the woods out there. And, you know, people say they see them all the time. So you probably just spotted them. Yeah. So I believe, uh, I totally believe in ghosts. Yeah. Totally. And, and I know I've told my story a million times on here, but I grew up in a house that had to have two exorcisms done on it. Woo, like, no yeah, doubt. so yeah, it's it's literally the poltergeist house. <laughs> that see, I've never seen anything like to that extent where I, I like um like I see a, like a full on 
full body manifestation of like an entity type of thing. You know, like I've never seen anything. The creepiest thing that I've ever like witnessed was a, a light in my living room turning on and off by itself. And that was pretty freaky, but it wasn't, you know, like there could be signs behind that. There could be like some like short circuit thing that went on there. You don't know. But like to see a full body manifestation like that, like that, that will turn me into a believer right away. Yeah. Like, which is interesting because a lot of comedians that like when I was looking up their stories like on YouTube or reading about it or whatever, all of them said the same thing that you said. They said that they never believed a ghost before they started working at the store. And most of them started off as doormen. So like I, I don't know exactly how that works, but the way they usually explain it is just like, okay, you're usually the first people there and you're the last people to leave. Like you're locking everything up. You're making sure nobody's in the bathroom. Like you, you, you're making sure everything's like steady teddy. So like no – you know, bums or whatever, like, you know, sleeping there or whatnot. But um, probably the freakiest one, which kind of leads into what both of you guys were saying, is um, Bobby Lee, who I, I love his podcast. And 99% of the time, he's usually bullshitting. But he's for years, he's maintained like this story. And you can always tell like when he's telling, you know, a tall tale or when he's serious. Um, but he's told it on his podcast. He told it on Joey Diaz's podcast, you know, as well as, you know, Andrew Santino's podcast, a bunch of them, whatever. And it's always the same story. And what gives it to me more validation, too, is another comedian confirms what he said. So um, the story goes is Bobby Lee and Johnny Sanchez, they leave to go do a show, coincidentally enough, here in Bakersfield. And so Bobby Lee at that time, I believe this is like shortly before he gets his gig on Mad TV. He has this old broken ass truck and they say, hey, let's just park my truck in the parking lot of the store and we'll take your car, Johnny, because it's more fuel efficient and it'll probably get us over the grapevine. So, like, they leave, they go do the show at um, here in Bakersfield, and they come back, and it's, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And so they're talking in the parking lot of the comedy store, and then all of a sudden they see in the belly room's um, window, uh, they see, like, this apparition up here, like, like smoke or something come up into the mirror. And what they say what appears is, like, a guy with, like, a, a 1940s, like, fedora hat, like a yellow fedora hat, put his hands on the window with glowing eyes, they look up at it, they freeze, and then all of a sudden it just dissipates away. And they think that what they saw was the famous ghost that they called Gus. Gus. Interesting. Yeah. See, the glowing eyes thing is kind of freaky because that's that's not a person. Mm-hmm. Like, well, like that's the part that freaks me out a little bit where it's like I can I can kind of, like, get with the, the ghost element and, like, bad energy. Like, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, there's been moments in life where, like, I walk into some somewhere and I can kind of get a bad vibe. I'm like, I'm not going to be here because something bad's about to go down. Like mm-hmm. you just trust your spidey sense on that end, you know, like, and like, that's just intuition, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's just there. And there is that thing about going into like an old building or whatever. Like I've been to the comedy store and got that vibe where it's like, man, it's, it's kind of like fishy in here. Like it's, it's cool. But at the same time, it's, it looks like the shining's about to happen. Like the two <laughs> twins are going to be staying there. Like yeah. two ghost twins. But like, to see glowing eyes, like that's that's like that's the devil. Like I don't know what's going on there. That it's seems a little demon. more demonic than. Well, they don't say he's a nice ghost at all either. Um, and another person, I believe his name is Michael Becker, who was like a manager at the comedy store. He said that you know he was talking on the phone, believe um, before a Friday night show, and he was talking on the phone doing some business shit or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he sees like a man in like 1940s like mobster attire walk in through the front door. 
and then proceed to go into his office and he's on the phone and this is like on the on like the 1980s unsolved mysteries or whatever so they do like this really cheesy like special effects to show this and whatnot but they say like hey hey get that guy out of here we're not open yet and like he proceeds to walk into his uh his office now in his office was like his like secretary or somebody and he was like hey get that guy out of here and the secretary looks at him like what guy and he goes you didn't see like some like old school like 1940s mobster looking motherfucker like come in here and then like, like your story they were like oh this is your first time seeing gus huh and so it's like one of those things where like everybody knows about gus and like this is like these people's like first encounters with him yeah yeah i mean you know i mean i always bring it back to like the matrix you know, uh, which is a, the first one is such a good movie. And it just it talks about entities and like, you know, you you, you stay at a place for so long. It's almost like once you die, it's like making copies, you know, like you ever try to make a, a copy of something that it's not the same, but things change a little bit. Uh-huh. And you make a copy of that changes a little bit. You make a copy of that. Or if you erase something and make a copy it's it's still a little there you know what i mean and i feel like that's what these ghosts are the comedy store these are guys that have probably that dude gus probably spent all of his time there mm-hmm. all of his time there and might have probably died there yeah and and so he's just there forever until until he gets what he wants and who knows what he wants yeah and then he'll and then he's free and he's then he can leave i'm surprised he's not mad though or yeah. angry usually they're Usually they're mad or angry because they want to go somewhere. They need what they need to get mm-hmm. so they can go. Some peace or whatever. Uh, the story goes with Gus. I believe this is correct because it, it varies whoever you talk to. But some people believe that Gus was um, a former doorman when it was Ciro's. And he was actually a henchman for Bugsy Siegel. And then I believe like the the guy that actually was like running the comedy store, not the comedy store, but Ciro's. Mm-hmm. Um, as like you know, a uh, henchman for Bugsy Siegel was the LA's uh, Mickey Cohen, and now Mickey yeah. Cohen, yeah, Mickey Cohen was like LA's like like Godfather basically, no doubt, yeah. And, and then Ciro's was like his hangout because him and Bugsy like they like to canoodle with like all of the you know celebrities Stars were, and shit, yeah. yeah and that because that's actually what got Bugsy Siegel capped is because like he was funneling you know too much money from the Flamingo that he was um, building or whatever he was skimming too much off the top. And then, um, you know, he all of his business at Cereals, that's what he was doing. And there was actually what's called like the Mob Wars where like the old Don of L.A. Uh, let me get his name real quick. Jack Dragna, like him and Mickey Cohen had like this like like uh, Bloods versus Cribs beef. And like they say that there's stairways leading down to the basement. And if you look into the wall, like you'll actually see like little holes in the wall. And they said that's where they would put like their pistols in the wall and shoot at people down on the Sunset Strip. And they think Gus was actually one of the henchmen that would be um, trying to make a Godfather reference here, but um, would be like uh, Luca Brasi or whatever, like, you know, the muscle. Mm-hmm. And like, that's who that's who Gus is. And you said earlier in the show, like, you know, there's that green room that has that sliding door. They actually believe that Gus was maybe killed um, through that sliding door. And he was actually killed right there uh, within the main room, because that's where you see a lot of his apparitions appear. Wow. I mean, you know, it, it totally makes sense, man. The place is creepy. The yeah. place is so creepy. And to like, what's so funny is to do comedy there. <laughs> you're trying to make people laugh there and you're doing it with all those vibes in that air. You uh-huh. know, it's a testament to all the comics out here. Yeah. 
Um, another crazy story is is that you know I learned off of Bobby uh, Lee's podcast. Um, he was talking about Sam Kinison and Carl LeBeau. Now they I guess they were called like the Houston Boys. Uh, him and uh, Bill Hicks. Yeah. Um, the, all three of them, they came from Houston up to LA. And so they were poor as shit. Like they didn't have any place to go. Like I can imagine like in the eighties, it was expensive. No, never mind what it costs today <laughs> to live in LA oh. or whatever, especially during the pandemic. But they said what they would do, like when they initially got to the comedy store is that they would actually sleep on the main stage of the comedy store. Now I looked up, you know, obviously Bobby Lee's story as well as Carla Bow's story. And it's pretty like consistent with what they were saying. They said that, you know, one day uh, or one night, you know, after everything closed down or whatever, I believe Carl was sleeping in one of the booths in the main room. And then Sam Kinison was actually sleeping on the main stage. And what happened was all of a sudden he heard like this like rustling or whatever. And so he turns and he's like, hey, Sam, do you hear that? And like Sam was, I guess, was like dead asleep. And he's like, all right, whatever. And so he goes back to sleep and then he starts to hear the, uh, the rustling intensify a little bit more. And when he looks up, he sees that Sam Kinniston is actually being levitated. Like something's like holding him by his ankles upside down. And now Sam Kinniston, for anybody who doesn't know who Sam Kinniston is, is a pretty thick individual. Yeah, that's a big boy. Yeah, you. I mean, he's probably like what? Like the wrong side of like 250, almost 300 yeah. pounds or whatever? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so like that's got to be a pretty strong entity, whoever it was, to be able to lift Sam Kinniston up like that. Upside down? Upside down. Like he was hanging them like Suge Knight did to Vanilla Ice, like on the behind <laughs> the music or whatever. Like Wait, how many people witnessed this? Uh, uh, Carl LeBeau, uh, his best friend. Oh, okay. Damn, that's pretty nuts, man. Are they saying that was Gus? Yes, they think that was Gus because they think like, okay, like it's not going to be the, the lady in white or whatever that hangs out at the belly room and shit. Yeah. Um, it could be, man. That's my feminist ghost reference of the day, man. <laughs> Strong, independent women and yeah. shit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. Like it's hard for me to whenever, like, so like my, uh, the scariest place I've ever been to is probably, um, I use little bunny air quotes there when I said scary, but, um, bunny ear air quotes. But, um, I went to the, the Winchester mansion. It's just like notoriously like haunted and all this stuff. And it is creepy because all the rooms, like there's doors that lead to nothing. There's like doors that open up to like you know you could fall off the whatever the building is just weird um there's like seance rooms and all this stuff and you definitely do get that vibe right like and i've heard like crazy things about it but like i've never seen anything like i'm always so jealous like i hear that story like if i saw like a 300 pound man floating upside down i'd be like (laughs) yeah that's a ghost (laughs) like i'm a believer i'm on sunday school the very next sunday man like <laughs> like you watching kenneth copeland in the morning or yeah, what? <laughs> like i'm there but like i just never get to see anything man i never yeah. get to see anything cool um it's funny you mentioned seances too um another story that gets told is that um mitzi's office mitzi shore the lady who ran the uh, comedy store for many years uh polly shore's mom uh she had an office and they say that, you know, it was locked for many years. Nobody went up there. But if you watch, you know, the Showtime documentary, like, no, you, you can get in there. It's just that, you know, she didn't want anybody else in there. But what is true, though, is that she didn't want anybody in there because, like, shit would just randomly, like, levitate. 
And that's why she didn't want anything in there because she said the room, her office was unclean. So she didn't like to do too much business in there. And she said that, you know, what they said is like every year they would hire somebody like from around the world. I believe like uh, France one time they had like, you know, some spiritual spiritualist come in and try to do like a exorcism or a seance to get them out. Um, but Bobby Lee again, he said he goes one night, you know, he was hanging around in the alley uh, by the comedy store and he was talking to one of the doormen and he's like, hey, like why are the lights still on in the belly room? And he goes like, Oh, you don't want to know, man, just go home. Like, just leave, man. Like, but we can't shut down yet until everybody's gone, but I need you to leave. And he's just like, no, I want to know what's going on up there. And he's like, trust me, you don't want to know what's going on up there. So Bobby, Bobby Lee being the curious little fuck he is, he actually climbs up the back way to get into the belly room, that little back door that everyone exits out of. And he oh, like yeah. peeked through and he said that there was about 10 or 12 people in there. Uh, Mitzi, I believe he said, uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, who else? Uh, Bob Zamuda, who was um, best friends with Andy Kaufman. And he just saw all these people like gathered around like in a circle, like doing some kind of seance. And what he said is, is he heard them that they were trying to conjure the spirit of Andy Kaufman uh, from the belly room. And what ended up, he just ended up hearing was just like a bunch of like growling and just craziness and shit. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. So they say Andy's energy is in there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, don't, I, I definitely don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, he's got that neon sinus right there. <laughs> Not only is Andy Kaufman hilarious, but it goes back to like what you were saying. Like, Andy's a dude that dealt with like a lot of sadness in his life. Like, even to to his death with like battling cancer and all that stuff. Like that, I'm sure like stuff like that, like those energies, right? Like that vibe it gets mm-hmm. stuck in a building. You know, like I I can see that. I can I. Like unfinished business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's probably why they were trying to contact him. And a place you get your highest highs at. Yeah. You know, the place where you get your... I mean, for comedians, it's like they're they're making love on stage. So you're you're coming. I mean, like your your whole your, <laughs> your whole energy, that ecstasy of your body is being released on stage, especially for those, you know, those guys that, you know, peaked being a comedian, those guys were picked on and fucked mm-hmm. with so much. And then they, they learn their, their craft and their skill and they become such, so big. And these are their, like, their fuck stages. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are like their temples. Yeah. Cause and, it, you know, that, that energy, man. Something, yeah, about that validation. I mean, there's nothing that feels better. Like, you know, you mentioned it earlier, not to get too much into art's personal life, but you were telling me like you weren't having the best of weeks and you got like this one, great big piece of good news and it just like made everything else not matter and i can only imagine like you said like you you look at some of these comedians you're like okay i can tell that oh back in ohio like you used to be a nerd or whatever and like you know girls didn't want to fuck you now you come out to la and like you're like this rock star basically the man the fucking man (laughs) so that validation right there man like that can that can that could be volumes right there dude i can't even imagine that like a comedy club and like you're people are there to see you like well, let me ask, not to get too far off topic really quickly, but whenever, is there a lot of pressure whenever you go do stand-up? Like, do you feel the pressure? <laughs> do you feel, like, anxious, or are you, like, in the zone? Like, is that, like, this is my world, you're just living in it kind of vibe? I mean, it, it, it depends on the gig. It, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. It depends on where you're at. Like, I mean, for me now, I've been doing comedy so long, I don't feel pressure. I mean, it's like, I got a new joke that I want to tell, right? Or I got like a new 10 minutes. Or say I got 
something coming up. I have like a TV set coming up and I need to, I need to prepare for this TV set. So I need these, these sets need to be good. You know, these practices need to be good. So that pressure is on, but I mean, not, not really. It all, it all depends, man. It's like, who's in the audience? You know, is there an agent in the audience that's trying to hook you up so you can get this gig, you know, so you can make some money. Those pressures are like that. But, you know, if you've been doing it for a while, it's sort of the same feeling, you know, but you do get anxious. You 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 want to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's all about what, what mood you're in, you know. Sometimes, you know, um, you're in a mood where like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show my dick this month. You know, I want, <laughs> I want everybody that comes up after me to struggle their ass off. So, you know, you're in that, you're in that Mike Tyson mode where like I'm getting on this stage and I'm destroying it. I'm gonna make it hard for anybody to do anything after me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might be in that mood or you might be in like a mood where, you know, I just want to talk to the audience, you know, but I guess when you're, when you're new to it, it's all about, you know, you just want to do well. You don't want to embarrass yourself or bomb or, you know, I mean, if you do bomb, you bomb. So what? Everybody yeah. bombs, man. It's all good. Just keep going. Even it all best. depends. That's, yeah. If you're that, not bombing, you're not trying to. That's what I say. If you're, if you're going up there, you're just crushing all the time. You're not doing new shit. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Like, what's the point? You're just reading your saying you're up there monologuing at that point. That's what I say. I'm like, come on, That's man. True. You know, these jokes. You're yeah. monologuing. You don't even need the audience no more. You, know, <laughs> you might as well just do, do it in the mirror. Shit. Yeah. For real. Dude. You're jerking off on stage. Yeah. And it's an art, too. That's the way I look at it, too. Like, I mean, you could be funny, like, when you're around, like, your friends or your relatives or whatnot or your coworkers or whatever. But, like, when you're on stage, like, that's a performing art right there. Like, you, you need to come with something else. I mean, I won't name any names, but there's been, like, a multitude of comedians where it's like, oh, shit, they're the funniest person, in my opinion. But then, like, for years, they just keep repeating, like, their same act. Yeah. It's it hard happens. to get out of that, too, because yeah. you get addicted to that that high. You, you know, you want to do good. And, it, I mean, it's just like anything. You have to, you, you, you have to like, uh, measure yourself. You have to keep trying. And if you, you know, you can get stuck in that bind of just doing the same jokes and, and, yeah. and, and, and getting the, getting a good laugh. But, if you're not doing new shit, you're re- you're not really like doing anything new. You're not really stretching or growing. Mm-hmm. You're not um, exercising that artistic bone right there, yeah. or muscle. It's, muscle. It's, it's a give and take because you yeah. know you might bomb, and it's. But I think people have to get used to bombing, and well, not used to bombing, but being okay with bombing, and it's just like a strikeout, you know. Yeah. Well, that's what builds confidence. Like you know, you hear the expression "just take the L." Like that's how you grow. Not only that, but like grow as a person as well. Like if you yeah. do bad like you know losing or like you know getting harsh criticism or whatever that's a sign of immaturity like there's no there's not, nothing more attractive in a person that knows how to take the l you know i love it i love watching like your friend bomb oh it's the best <laughs> i like watching comics bomb because it's, it's like how you say it's how you do it you see some comics just like uh my favorite is trying to watching a comic bomb and like trying to see him get out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like a dog scratching up a hill and it just keeps sliding back down and he's just, you know, you know, just <laughs> fighting it and just coming back down and just trying to get out. You know, it's a bomb. Just yeah. deal with it. <laughs> just keep telling your jokes. You can't let the bomb get to you though. But yeah. it's hard. One of the, the, 
the saddest bombs I ever saw at the comedy store. It was at the OR. I, we had just got done seeing Joey Diaz like do his thing. And Joey like is famous for this. Like a lot of people don't want to follow him. Um, Dude, Joey Diaz is like hard to listen to something because like, oh, these motherfuckers. No, when he's on stage though, he's oh, like, he's like <laughs> that's my Joey Diaz impression. But pretty much everybody's energy was just spent after Joey Diaz is set. And then like you said, like you see that next person like, like, oh shit, how am I going to be able to follow that up? And, like, the whole time they were up there, like, you see them, like, checking their watch or whatever. Like, it was painful to see. And I just remember myself, like, okay, I'm just going to laugh, you know, just to, you know, give this guy, like, give him a bone. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, just look at me right here. Like, I got you, man. I'm going to give you some of this energy right here so you can keep on doing your thing. Dude, that's, that's, that's like, in the zone. Like, when you get to that level of, like, when you're, like, totally in the driver's seat. Like, there was a time period when we were, when we were young, like, when we were in, like, junior high or whatever, like, or late elementary school, like I remember thinking, like Chris Rock. Chris Rock to me has always been like the the comedian to me, and so like when Chris Rock was doing his like he had like those two back to back specials. I think he did like Bigger and Blacker, but the, I can't remember the one he did right before that one. Oh, Bring the Pain or something like that. Bring the That's Pain, yep. yeah. And like to me, that one was the best one. Like Bring the Pain. I always forget. It's funny because I remember Bigger and Blacker because that one had that like famous album cover where oh, it's like No Limit Record. Yeah, one, it looks yeah. all No Limit looking, <laughs> which I I love that album cover, but it's, it's not as good as as uh, Bring the Pain. But um, but like to me, like that's in the zone. Like to me, that that's like, dude, how do you do what this dude is doing? Like to me, it's still like one of the funniest like standups ever. Like put that on like along with like Richard Pryor on the Sunset Strip or whatever like mm-hmm. that album's called. Like I think that's what it's called. It's ironic. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, Richard well, Pryor's. Both, I mean, both of those are comebacks. Like uh, the, the for for Bring the Pain, I think Chris Rock had done like some floppy shit before Bring the Pain, and the story I heard is that he ran into Andrew Dice Clay in Vegas, and uh, before he did Bring the Pain, and, and Dice told him um, he needs to watch Rocky Three before yeah. he does Bring the Pain. He was like, "You got to watch Rocky Three, man. You got to watch it." And it'll let you know that this is the fight. This is the time. Because Rock was saying if he didn't do good for Bring the Pain, it was over. He yeah. said it, it, his whole career would have been done if he didn't have a good one for, for Bring the Pain. And he crushes. I mean, he crushes Bring the Pain, man. Yeah. He's fighting. The way he's stalking that stage, I think I'm, I think like maybe two jokes in, you can hear him, you can hear him like punching his hand with the mic. Cause he knows it's like, I'm fighting you motherfuckers. Yeah. And they boo him a little bit. Like his first joke gets booed. Uh, Cause he does like a weird, like postman joke or something. And it's, it goes over Rocky. Great. I mean, he's my favorite man. Oh, I, love, yeah. I love Chris. And you're absolutely right about that too. Because I remember um, when buying CDs was a thing, like we had this uh, music store um, across the, the street from our job. And like, I'd go over there and like peruse like the used section and like I'd always like flip back and forth from you know between like rap or metal or something like that. And I was like, let me go down like the comedy album side. Like I had never like owned like a comedy album, and so like I saw, oh, here's a Chris Rock one, and it was back like before he had the goatee and he just had like that high top or whatever. And I was like, oh, I ne- I never heard of this. So it was like something like he was like standing in the park bench or something like that. And I was like, yep, Central like, Park. And I remember listening to it, and I might like it now, but I remember at the time because that's like when Bring the Pain was out. I was like oh wow this is before like he was good huh like i just remember having that feeling of it and even watching him like on saturday night live like 
it's crazy to think like not to say he didn't do good on Saturday Night Live, but it's like crazy to think like he was one of the biggest stars to take off from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he had like a six month gig on there or whatever. It, he's he's to me he is like the cream of the crop. Like he, I I said this the other day like probably along with Richard Pryor and Season Sorry. Like those are like my big three of comedy in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Let me close this door real quick because yes. I need a baby crying. Yeah, uh, sorry about that, everybody that's listening. My dog keeps breaking into the room and <laughs> my baby next door is crying. But uh, kind of transition into uh, <laughs> back into the topic. Um, speaking of... Uh, I'm like Aziz, too. Uh, spe- yeah, we saw him actually on me and this guy, a uh, no homo uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Me it and this was guy on, was... It was on Valentine's... Like the day before or something like that. It was something weird like that. You know, it was on Valentine's Day. Oh, it was Day. on Valentine's Day? This guy was my oh. date. Yeah, I was like, I had like a spare take. I was like, Jacob, we're going. <laughs> to see to see Aziz? Yeah, to yeah. see Aziz, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, Aziz is awesome, man. Man, that, that sexual assault, well, I don't know if it was assault. That really fucked him over. I think the special afterwards, though, I mean, comedians, is, you know, I mean, it's it's so fucked. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think that special he did afterwards kind of made him look worse, though. Oh, really? Like, he changed his look a little bit, and it looked like he was trying to like make I, up for it. I agree one hundred percent. Like you just said about Chris Rock, like he watched Rocky three and he came out and he was like fighting the whole time. Aziz yeah. came out and he was just like tired. Like he was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I messed up. I hope you guys are cool with that. All right, you know, just so that you guys know. And like, it was that energy the whole time. Even though the jokes were like hits, like he had some funny things on that one. But for the most part, it was very much like, all right, very much like it can blend into an episode of NPR or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's hard for like, uh, I don't look at Aziz as a very dude that was well-received when he was living in North Carolina as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see him. I see him getting picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. And when that, that story came out, I'm sure that just took him right back to that age where he was just this big. Yep. And I think that was like the really like close to the beginning of the Me Too movement. And he was like one of the first comics dealing with it. So I don't think he really knew. I mean, what, how do you deal with that? I don't know. But, uh, you know, I don't know. But, you know, I, I hope he brings out, I hope he does another special. I hope he tries to like get out of that box again and, and come back to himself again. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And no, nothing's better than watching like a redemption story. You mentioned you're from the same town as Michael Vick. Like that, it, no to doubt. me. To me, that does that that deserves its own topic right there. That guy went yeah. from the most vilified person, in my opinion, to like you see his story now, you're just like, oh my god, like that, like that's like one of my favorite people. Like that's my favorite, one of my favorite redemption stories of all time. Like stuff that he does, you know, for animal rights and stuff like that. It's just like it's amazing. Like oh man, he's the hum- like we I know Vic. Like we played football against each other in high school. Oh yeah. No, his, his nickname is Uki. Uh, going up. <laughs> Uh, and Mike, look, the sad thing is about it, Mike's, growing up, Mike was super quiet. You know, he was just like a freak that could just ball his ass off. He was always kind of like second fiddle in our hometown because it was a, my high school quarterback was like the top dude that ended up playing for the Raiders, a wide receiver. But Vic was like number two in high school until he got to college. And that's when he blow up. But Vic was hella quiet, grew up in the projects. I mean, the hood hood. But just a quiet dude, real nice guy. Kind of, I mean, I won't say shy, but not not a talker, not a big talker. And when he got to Atlanta, man, you know, he just was a big dude now. And he, he 
got caught up with Big Boy and Outkast and those guys with those dogs and shit. And, you know, his family kind of fucked him over like that. But it's just cool to see him now on ESPN, you know, speaking all proper and giving his takes. And, you know, I mean, this dude's from the hood, hood, and could have went south real bad and got out of that, had one of those top flight games for Monday Night Football. And now look at him. I'm just, you know, that's a great redemption story. Yeah, I love that. I love like that 30 for 30. That's like my favorite 30 for 30 of all time. But speaking of redemption and not following the right path, (laughs) uh, 1979, I believe that's like when the comedy store had uh, that famous strike where before, you know, the comedy store, like comedians would go up there, they wouldn't get paid. You know, Mitzi seen it. It was like it was kind of like college for comedians where like the next step would have been you know, going to the Tonight Show, and, like, that's how you'd get your comeuppance. I believe Freddie Prince, you know, he became, you know, the biggest thing, you know, on television, you know, because he had Chico and the Man, you know, all because of the comedy store. David Letterman, Jay Leno, you know, I don't even need to, you know, finish the sentence on that. Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, like, all these people got their comeuppance coming through the comedy store, but the next generation kind of was just like, well, that's cool, but I might not make it. Like we mentioned earlier, this is the boulevard of broken dreams. I'm starving. I'm living in my car. I remember one time, like, I, I told this guy, like, on our Patreon episode, like, I always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I feel like I didn't have the hunger enough to go sleep in my car to go and do it. So I, I feel like I would be disrespecting all the stand-up comedians before me if I try to do it because I'm going to go back to my house and shit, you know? So that's where those comedians were at, like, in 1979. It's like, hey, we're fucking starving here, and we're your main attractions. Like, we should at least be compensated. So there was this whole, like, union picket or whatever on that. And one of the comedians that were um, in the lead for that was a comedian named Steve Lubetkin. Now, eventually, you know, the strike would end. Mitzi would agree, hey, after every set that you do, we're going to compensate you with $25 a night, which is nothing, but it, it's something, you know, like for 15 minutes of work, like that's that's like $100 an hour kind of thing. So, you know, every comedian would get uh-huh. that after that. But Mitzi always kind of held like that secret grudge against those who kind of, you know, started this movement. And Steve Lebeckin was one of them. And the story goes that, you know, he was really burnt about it. He was already dealing with all sorts of, you know, mental problems like we've illustrated throughout this episode. Like he was, you know, every comedian on the Showtime documentary, the comedy store was saying like, yeah, he was already, you know, dealing with some mental health issues. And then him after the strike, not getting any gigs in Hollywood, not only in the comedy store, but, you know, Laugh Factory or any other other places because he got blacklisted because of this. It really took a mental toll on him. And so what he did was um, there was there is a hotel right next to the comedy store, not the the whorehouse, but there's a hotel there that's famous for, you know, Led Zeppelin going there and, you know, making a girl like have sex with a shark there. And, you know, the Rolling Stones throwing TVs off the roof and whatnot. Trashing the rooms and shit. Exactly. Um, I believe like David Lee Roth or somebody, somebody from Van Halen, they uh, super glued like all the, all the furniture to the roof, all the furniture to the roof and shit. Uh, but so, so it's that famous hotel that he jumps from the top of the roof. And what he wanted to do, what they said is, is he wanted to land on, you know, the comedy store while they were having shows, but he misses. And there's like this rail. Um, there's like a ramp and a rail right there lands right there on the rail and obviously dies. Uh, he has this, you know, note in his pocket that says, my name is Steve Lu- Steve Lubetkin. I used to work at the comedy store. That was his whole suicide note. And for years, people said, like, there was this weird energy, like, after that, which I can imagine, you know, 
you you go to buy a house, they have to tell you by law if somebody died there because there's always going to be a lingering energy there. And so for years, there was always like that unspoken thing like, hey, is this the ghost of Steve? Well, as the 90s comes, like you're starting to get like all these like ghost hunter shows and like paranormal shows or whatnot. And they, they did this at the comedy store where, you know, they had like a, a psychic or whatnot. And she was a psychic and she did... um uh, what is a co- composite sketches at the same time of like whoever like the entity was. So like she'd go somewhere and like she'd draw out like that lady that's in the belly room. Like she would go into the main room and draw out like some 1940s mobster. And then when she got out to like where like Steve would have landed on that railway, she actually did a really sharp composite drawing of Steve Lubetkin. And he says, yeah, he pretty much haunts this whole area right here. And waitresses, what they would say is, is that, you know, they, they would go in and they would set up the tables back in the day. They would put a white uh, linen cloth over over all the tables and put an ashtray right there. And then they would leave and do something for like two minutes. And then all of a sudden all the um, the tablecloths and the ashtrays would be put back in the linen closet within a matter of two minutes. And everyone thinks because Steve was such a prankster like that, they think that's the ghost of Steve Lubeckin. It's pretty wild. <laughs> Sounds like him. <laughs> I don't know him, but it sounds like him. It's a ghost house, man. Yeah. And it's <laughs> that place is just a ghost house in this one. Yeah. And then Blake Clark, the guy that played uh the Slinky Dog in Toy Story, he said that when he was working there, like he didn't believe in any ghost or anything like that. And he said that when he was working as a doorman, like he would sometimes see like the stool, the stool that you would see like on the main stage, like just slowly start to get dragged across the st- across the stage, like twenty feet. Dude, I believe that. Yeah. That that I do believe. I I do believe that there's like weird energies and like man, full body apparitions, you know, I'm, I'm like that's that's the mecca. Like that's what you want to see to believe, but things moving like that, like yeah, I believe that. Like that that I think like a ghost could do like if there's still like bad vibes and bad spirits or whatever there. I could see that happening. And then another one, Jay Moore, he was saying that like he was in the middle of a set and then all of a sudden, like, everybody in the audience just froze. Like, he was still doing his thing, but everybody was just, like, stuck like this. Like, the computer glitched out or whatever. And he said the only way that it stopped was, as he says, like, he started yelling at the ghost, like, hey, ghost, stop fucking around. Like, I know you're fucking around with me. And then all of a sudden, like, everything, like, started, like, like all the audience started, like, to erupt and shit. Jay, was this in the 90s? Because Jay Moore used to do drugs. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Hold <laughs> up! He said that he was on stage. You guys are glitching a little bit. Um, oh, okay. The he said that he was on stage telling his jokes, but the audience wasn't moving. Yeah, like everything had just glitched out or whatever. Everything just went on frozen. He's still like moving and doing his thing, but like everything just stopped. I bet someone in the audience that night was like, "That motherfucker was on drugs." He started yelling <laughs> at a ghost on stage. See, if you told me Joey Diaz had that experience, like I'd believe that because Joey Diaz has done Man, every drug on the damn demon. Get off my stage! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joey. Uh, time for we're gonna call it a night, Joey. It's just like no, don't before I rape you. these goddamn fucking <laughs> mobster demons. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Joey Diaz's ghost fucking haunts that place after fucking oh yeah, dude, it's, it's I, believe, I believe all that shit. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, there's a laundry list of fucking like things that have happened there. I mean, uh, Joey Gaynor, who was also on Unsolved Mysteries, he said that when he was working as a doorman, like same thing, like he he like pulled pushed in all the chairs from the table and was getting ready to leave. And then all of a sudden, just like the movie Poltergeist, like all the chairs were like stacked up on top of each other, like within a matter of seconds. Uh, he went to blow out a couple of candles before he left and they kept reigniting. He did it like three or four times and he was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just leaving. And then at one point he started to call out the ghost. He was like, come on, ghost, like come and fuck with me then. Like if you really want to show me something. And then all of a sudden like an ashtray out of nowhere just comes and like smashes across like the room and hits like the wall. Can't go around disrespecting ghosts, man. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my number one rule. <laughs> um, it's always funny, like, I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's, like, the ghost hunter guys or whatever, uh-huh. and they're, like, come on, demon, or whatever, like, come on, oh, ghost, who, and who then it that? says, like, when the ghost finally squares up, and the guys are, like, petrified looking. Wait, well, who's that guy who, like, took off his shirt? What's his name? Um, oh, shit. Like, he wears, like, those fucking, like, um, bro clothes and shit. Um, those oh. Ed Hardy clothes and shit. Yeah, yeah, that's ghost hunters, I think. Um, what's his name, though? Um, Baggins? I'm going to just go. Daggins, Baggins, or whatever. Zach Baggins. Oh, <laughs> like he literally was like trying to fight a ghost and shit. Like it was like the third round against Khabib Nurmagomedov and shit. Like he was like he took off his fucking shirt, his Ed Hardy fucking sixty dollar fucking shirt or whatever, and was like trying to square up with a ghost and shit. Yeah, yeah. I thought he called him Baggins, <laughs> like Frodo Baggins. You know, like Frodo Baggins. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. No, that guy. That guy. Dude, I can't stand that show. Yeah, they always go to like, oh, this is a haunted like windmill or something like that, and like, yeah, same thing every time, man. They always like feel a presence or get a scratch, and those guys totally like discredit like every ghost sighting because like I can't believe them. But then there's like people that I'm like, dude, you're like, you know, you're just you know the waitress at the belly room or whatever. And, like I believe her, like whatever. Like I, I believe I-, I believe like people's stories when I hear them. I'm like, yeah. That's- seems totally possible like there's weird energies and weird vibes that like especially like when it's consistent or whatever like the basement too like we haven't even touched on the basement i know we said it before we started recording like when they were like renovating it and shit like they were finding like actual like human finger bones like in the walls and shit because you know just like the movie casino like the mob would chop off a finger or whatever like if you disrespected them but you know mickey cohen like that's where he actually tortured people that crossed the mob like and they say that like he actually killed people down the the basement um he actually did like uh i forgot who the serial killer was but they actually believe that there's bodies buried below the cement or whatever like they've had cadaver dogs down in the comedy room uh, basement and they actually can sniff like something below you know the foundation or whatever it's possible. It's possible. I'm just glad so much like comedy has came out of that place. So yeah, like it's such a like thrill to go there. Like like legit. Like the I, basement of the store. Not the not the basement, but just like the comedy store in general is like. <laughs> it's a, a thrill to go to the basement of the comedy store. Art. <laughs> it's just it's just always like a thrill oh, to no, go. I, we're glitching. We're glitching. Yeah. Oh shit! The oh, fucking yeah. Gus is fucking with us right now, man. Dude, now we've summoned some demons. Now it's like totally glitched out. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> but I'm just be like, every time, like, like it's such a thrill to me, like you know, like to to go to the comedy store. Like somebody told me, like, yo, like Dave Chappelle's gonna be there tomorrow, like ten bucks. It's a two dollar two drink limit, whatever two drink limit. Whatever, what do they call it? That's how they fucking get you every time because they're like, you got to get two drinks minimum. Then, yeah. yeah, two drink minimum. Yeah. yeah. Um. Dude, by the way, I went on there um, when I was doing research for this, and I typed in comedy store. 
then like the Yelp reviews come up next. And like those Yelp reviews are brutal, man. Like for the comedy store, like they still, they have like 4.5 stars, which is like, I get that. Like they're good. But then all the one stars, they're like, the food was bad. <laughs> it's like, bro, you came here for the comedy or you came here for the like chicken wings. Like it's one or the other. You can't have like awesome chicken wings and awesome comedy. For $10. I No, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be fucking watching comedy and then fucking all of a sudden I have to bust, bust ass in the hey, fucking bathroom and shit. corn dogs are microwave. What the fuck? <laughs> One star. Yeah, it's tough, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, do you guys have any other stories you want to add to this shit? That place, man. No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm learning from all the stuff you're telling me. <laughs> I've been, you know what? I got to say, though, I've been in the basement. I've been in the basement of the comedy store. And that's probably like the least creepiest place. Oh, really? <laughs> At the comedy store. Okay. That's what I've been in. Yeah, they used to do, I mean, that's like where they do like all, most of the podcasts uh, okay. down there. Um, and cats are down there like playing video games. Uh, it's like a real steep stairs. It's right when you walk in um, on the side. Okay. Not to get into the store. Um, but yeah, it's not that creepy in there. But I also, I haven't been in there by myself. There's always like a bunch of people in there. So I haven't really checked the vibes in there. So probably but, so. Probably probably a creepy vibe. But maybe they know that you're Michael Vick's homeboy and they don't want to fucking get buried with those dogs. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they're not fucking with me on that. I, you know, I've, I've only, I mean, the ghosts that I've encountered have never like fucked with me uh-huh. um you know i've only uh had like kind of okay experiences with ghosts so yeah I, uh, I don't know i mean okay experiences you're gonna have to elaborate on that you can't just end on that oh well okay i had another i mean um i used to live in san francisco and i had a girlfriend that was moving into like uh this this she's moving into a room uh where these girls lived uh, probably in the God, North Beach area of San Francisco. No, it's called the Sunset. Was it? No, no. Was it North Beach? That's, no, it was the Sunset District. Sunset and, uh, again. <laughs> oh, it is Sunset again. You're right. <laughs> um, and I remember her. She was moving from her last apartment. And I remember going over there, um, dropping her off so she can get interviewed by the roommates. She got interviewed by the roommates. The next couple of days, I'm helping her move in. And... Um, we move in, she moves into the place and I'm crashing over there. You know, it's my girl. Um, and we painted, we painted her closet. She was, I don't know why she wanted to paint the closet, but she wanted me to help her paint the closet white. And I was like, all right, yeah, cool, why not? And so we paint the closet and then like maybe a week or two later, we go back in the closet and it's like scratch marks mm. all over the closet, right? All over the closet. Yep. And my girl was like, Yo, what the fuck is going on with this room, Greg? And I was like, why? I was like, maybe it's just the, the coldness of San Francisco. The new paint is cracking. And she was like, no, because before you painted it, before I didn't tell you this, but it was scratched like that already before we painted it. Oh, and, shit. Um, and I, she had shaved the stuff off so I wouldn't be creeped out. And I was like, I don't know why you're trying to save me. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this. I get it. <laughs> I know Michael I Vick. Get this shit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I get this shit. <laughs> So um, and she was like, can we do like a little seance to try to remove the spirits? And I was like, first, let me let me do some history on this 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 crib. So I, I did Google searched and it was like an old sweatshop 
uh, Chinese sweatshop where they used to lock up these women upstairs to, you know, to work on clothing and shit. And a lot of people died in these buildings and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, all right. So probably this woman died working on some clothes and and she's trying to get out of here. So we, you know, we let her, uh, we did a seance and tried to help her energy get out of there. And oh, we painted okay. the room again and it was nothing. It was fine. Wow. Oh, God bless, man. You did the Lord's work on that one. She was a witch. That girl, that girl I dated, she was a, she was a witch though. I like found her... out she was a witch later. Oh, okay. Oh, dude. <laughs> that, she was a witch. Dude, she was doing that love, love potion number nine on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Art, do you got anything else, sir? I got nothing, man. Besides, like, I'm, uh, I'm. I don't know. She, 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 uh, she helped my back out when we were in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Dude, I'm just super thankful, Greg. Uh, I'm just super thankful that you came on, man. Like, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all on this side of the table. Um, you're great. Is there? Do you got? You got anything you want to plug? Anything coming up for? Uh, anything going on with? Um, with Thug Notes? Um, I mean, I don't know. Um, I think we might be bringing Thug Notes back. I'm not sure. I've heard some talks about it, but I've been doing uh, some videos with Wisecrack lately. I think we dropped a video about me talking about Marvel comic books and uh, Kang the Conqueror and shit like that. So I'll be doing those like twice a month uh, with Wisecrack uh, and doing a lot of Zoom shows, man. Just doing a lot of shows from right here. That's Hell it. yeah. Right on, man. Well, shit, make sure you guys check them out. Um, do you have a uh, social media thing can get at you? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can check out my website, uh, gregcomedy.com. I'm on Twitter at hit me up. Uh, I follow people for me and I follow you back. I don't care who you are. Hell yeah. So I'll be following you on there. So um, with that said, make sure you follow us on all of the social medias at Art Jacob Do America. I mean, we're glitching bad, fellas. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to play it out. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you follow us on all the stuff at Art Jacob Do America, except for Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob Do A1. Um, make sure you go to our Patreon, you know, Give us a dollar, give us two dollars, give us five dollars. I don't give a damn. Uh, but you'll get a bonus episode every week, as well as I got some extra LU Cateco stuff to send out to you. Some Art and Jacob Do America stickers and shirts and shit that I got coming in the mail as well. Uh, so sign up there. Check out our merch store at T Public. Just search Art and Jacob Do America. Support the show by doing that. Support our sponsors, Caveman Coffee and LU Cateco. Um, hey, when this pandemic is all over, make sure we all just go to the comedy store and maybe we'll hold our own seance. How about that, guys? I'm oh, trying. Yeah. <laughs> I got to see you live, man. I got to go. Next time you do a show, when this pandemic is over, I got to go see you do stand-up, man. You're hilarious. I'm thankful that you're on the podcast. Oh, thanks, man. Fuck yeah. Please come. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, we I'm will. down, man. So, that's it. Uh, that's all I got. Hell yeah, so... <laughs> We'll talk to y'all later, man. All right. Have a good night. Later. later, man. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. A couple things that didn't make it onto the end. I'm going to put it on here. Um, That's what happens when you're on a Zoom call and you have a wonky internet connection. So uh, a few things we missed. Greg's part didn't really come out that well. So uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram at Greg Comedy, uh, as well as on Twitter. I believe it is Greg the Grouch at Twitter. Um, And then, you know, just go to his website, GregEdwards.com. 
where, you know, as soon as this pandy is over, you can, you know, check out tour dates, you know, buy merch and all that good stuff. So support him. Funny guy came in in the clutch for us. You know, we had a guest drop out, um, but that's okay, you know, because, you know, all things happen for a reason. You know, tis the season, you know, for things to go wrong. And if you notice, too, during this episode, there was a few awkward moments, not because of the Internet connection, but because of, uh, you know, one of my dogs. He kept coming in and out of the room, you know, busting open the door smart ass dog he knows how to open up a door so i gotta get some locks for that so um maybe if we get enough patreons i can buy a sufficient enough lock uh, to put on our podcast studio door probably should be doing that because we're starting to get some nice equipment in this motherfucker so if you're a patreon tell your mamas and your boos too to sign up to our patreon um if you're already your patreon hey thank you for your contribution i'll be going to the home depot later on to figure that out but anyways if you love our podcast, you'll love the other podcasts on the Podbelly Network. That was the one other thing that I forgot to do at the end of that episode. Uh, but make sure you go to podbelly.com where you can find other great podcasts such as our sisters at the We're Not Sure Yet podcast, Ectoplasm. Um, you got the Piecast. Uh, you got the world-famous Sofa King podcast as well as our homeboy Eddie at the RRBG podcast, which stands for Rock and Roll Beer Guy podcast, where he interviews stand-up comedians from the comedy store so if you want to get even in more in depth with comedians such as greg edwards just check out rrbg on the podbelly network so with that said everybody i'm tired as fuck this is about the 17th time i've tried to record this outro but with that said have a good night